will be sitting in this queue for the next seven pages. Next standby will be when the tank rolls on stage. Backstage. How's our replacement holding up on those crossovers? We're right back here. Copy that. Great. Backstage, check your comm. Think you're leaning on the button? Everyone, please check your comms. Someone has an open channel. Everyone, check your comm packs. Make sure you're not wearing them where you can lean on the button or accidentally locking the channel on. Stage management, everyone. Please check your comms. Did someone say my name? Hello? Who's there? Backstage, is someone else covering the comm right now? Stage management for anyone. Hello? When we last left the agents of our cell, they were still split up. Ross and Reagan were investigating the cemetery where they had a lead. They found the Peter's mausoleum. And then they think they saw somebody. Well, they certainly smelled someone. And Ross had sent out a message. I think we should meet somewhere else. So River, Rowan, and Ari are heading to the new location to meet up with Ross and Reagan. Where is that? The park near the Seven Sisters. Okay. There's quite a few people here at the park today. A lot of tourists, a lot of folks taking pictures of the pretty houses, especially the one that was in that fantastic television show. It's a great view here. Ari, this is the first time that you've been really outside in some time? Whew. Wow. Kind of forgot how clean it smells. I mean, for San Francisco. I was going to say. Well, it isn't the tenderloin. I mean, it, it changes. Everything's on the move. Everything changes around here. But yeah, it's, a, it's actually a reasonable day. Well, and it doesn't smell like disinfectant, which hospitals kind of sometimes do. Usually. I mean... The disinfectant is bet. Never mind, I'm just gonna let that go. Yeah, anyway, um. Oh, look, there they are. Wave at Ross and Reagan. They wave back and walk on over. Every few steps, just kind of looking back to see if there's any, like, that person still behind them. Ross, is there somebody following you? I. Not at the moment. Yeah, I'm not sure if they were following us so much as we got clocked by them and they. We're just nearby for a minute. I don't know. But we've had a couple of, I guess it's not necessarily fast things run-ins today, but a couple of, like, disappearing element runs in today. Uh, who's this? Hi, I'm Ari. Uh, hi, um, Ross. Oh, okay, another one of the RNA pe- Got it, got it. Yes, it's uh, difficult to keep it all straight, but uh, you'll, you'll manage. Ari is a, uh, a subject expert in uh, the king in yellow and trying to get all of the information in one go was going to be a little bit difficult so uh river suggested it might be a good idea to bring him along okay so river rowan ross and hi reagan reagan nice to meet you 
Uh, with an A or not? Uh, the, well, yeah. R-E-G-A-N. R-E-G-A-N. Sorry, two A's, I meant. Yeah, one, one A, one E. Okay, so, like, Shakespeare or the, or the horror movie, not like the president? Correct. Got it. Okay. Sorry, I'm good at remembering things, but names I'm not great at for some reason. Um, so I, I helps it when I make a big deal about the name, and then it helps me remember it. I appreciate the effort. You know, it's kind of funny to me. Ari is kind of an R name, or at least it's pronounced an R. Huh. R-E, yeah. Ari, like a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, police station, what was that all about? And let's oh, just yeah. let's just assume that we're going to say everything in front of Ari because it's going to be way too exhausting otherwise if he's tagging along. Yeah, Ari just came out of the crazy house, so nobody will believe what he says anyway. Hey, I... You know, that's supposed to be my line as kind of a threat, River. I mean, you're not wrong, but come on. Not nice. Rowan definitely gives him kind of a sideways look at that, him using her particular phrase, but just smiles and shakes her head. I'm just joshing with you. No, you're rivering with me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ross will give a rundown of what happened at the police station, following it up with, not entirely sure if it's related to the current goings-on, but still a little odd. Brazil. Yeah, does that mean something? Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. in what way? Because I don't really... I don't know about anything related to the king of, from Brazil. Nope, not, not the king. This was a previous mission that involved a yellow slug creature, a screaming monkey creature, and a lot of people dying. I'd be really interested to chat with him. I, I don't know if he's part of Breckenridge or some other organization that was doing the cleanup side of things. Well, he, yeah, I guess he's Breckenridge, but... I mean, unless Breckenridge got someone else. How would he get Ross's number? That's a great question, because I would well, have assumed... Someone, someone from our side gave it to him because it was on a card with a green triangle on it. it it's someone that we're affiliated with. I, I assumed he was with us, but it didn't seem like he, you know, he had any support. So he's not, you know, on a team but I don't know what the structure of this organization looks like. He's very likely uh, friendly, not an actual member. Sure. Someone who knows enough about the, the weirdness going on to be helpful, but not completely inducted. And look at Ari. Well, we presumably have his real name, so we can technically look him up and see what's out there, if anything. I bet we don't have his real name, but we should... Uh, somebody should probably shoot off a message to the ABCs. Mm. Uh, I think I'm going to stay more local level with this one for the moment. I'll, sh I'll I'll check in with Sam Squared and see if he can find anything. Anyway, uh, Rowan, did you get a chance to show Ari that photo I sent of the mausoleum? Oh, no, sorry. And I'll pull open the photo and hand my phone over to Ari so he can see it. Only look at the one picture. It's rude to look at other pictures. Oh, of course... <laughs> Look, I don't know how much, like, human uh, connectivity intelligence you have, so I'm just covering my bases. I'm a real person. I'm just... You're an academic. Overly ex She's used to hanging out with me. 
okay, no. Yes, I'm, I'm used to hanging out with River, who doesn't always understand the social mores, which is fine. I just make sure to lay the, the, the rules. You said that you don't always do well unless you know the rules. So there's okay. the rules. Okay, I'm just... Look, I'm Gen Z. I'm not, like, a little kid. I'm not... Sorry. I'm not approaching you like you're a little kid. I'm approaching you like you're someone who doesn't necessarily hang out with people. I do, just a fairly small group of them, but I still hang out with people. Okay. Are they also academics? So where's this picture? In front of you, on the screen. Okay, yeah. Huh. Wait, a lake, two suns... Hold on, which... Where was this? Ross? Well, well, if it's a lake, it can't be Tatooine. You ever notice how they don't have two shadows when they're on there? Anyway. It was the, um, the mausoleum for a Jan's uh, Peters. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Huh. Yeah, he his version had had the lake. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So he was okay. a playwright. So right? one of the thing. Okay, I'm going. I'm getting there. So one of the things that a lot of the different texts have in common is locations, and they don't always show up the same way. But there's certain names or words that work. So like Carcosa is always the name of the place. And that can, you know, sometimes maybe it's paradise, maybe it's the afterlife, maybe it's even a real place. It, it's hard to know sometimes, but one of them is also um, Lake Holly, H-A-L-I, Holly. Um, or sometimes Holly's a person or just a place, but the lake and the two sons also. Um, yeah, that, that goes with it, because one of the things that the Chambers book originally mentions a lot of times, the mysteries of the Hyades, and some people think that maybe there's something to do with the stars being the twin suns, I don't know, but it's it's iconography that shows up. So this is a, a painting of somewhere on Carcosa. Well, I mean, rendition of... It, it's sure. hard to know exactly because we don't know exactly, but we don't even know if Carcosa is a real place. It could just be a figurative for, you know, the city that's about to be destroyed by siege. Or it's oh no, it's a it's a real place. I have a picture that is geo stamped from there. Whoa! No way! Well, show me, show me. Can I see it? She'll take her phone back and and uh, flip to the photos that she took inside the theater. And just, like, pick one at random, probably the map on the floor, and then hand it back. <gasps> Hang on. Geostamped? It, it is geostamped. Carcosa. So it says Carcosa, but where is, where is it? Where does it say that is? It's San Francisco, apparently. In, like, a tiny little pixel of the San Francisco map. It's bigger on the inside. So, yeah, it's... So it's, like, the meta... Okay, so it's not a metaphor... But it could still be somewhere within or next to or... Okay, this is actually getting, like, scientific. This is beyond the just the stories of it. Whoa. Wait. Lost wait, Carcosa but, isn't lost? But geolocation will just give you the, the latitude and longitude. It doesn't give you a name. This one did. And I'll take my phone back, tap it, and show him the geotag. Well, yeah, it depends on whether you're using Google Maps or Waze or, you know, the native app. Yeah, it's got to be some kind of 
database of locations, not anyway. Which means that it is in a database somewhere. Yeah. That my phone's pulling from. What OS does Rowan use? She has an Android. An Android? Oh, okay, this is Android. Um, I mean, my roommate might know more about that. I'm more of an iPhone guy, but it... I don't want to tap around there, but I'm I'm sure you're not using any special mapping apps or anything? Nope, not particularly. Okay, so where in the city is it? It's in the theater. I'll bring up the map on my uh, phone and show that to him. How much, Ari, how much do you know about what we're doing here? Like, uh, Rowan, have you told him about the case specifics, or...? I have told him that we're looking for the missing people, and a little bit about what's going on. And that they were putting on a production of The King in Yellow, which means bad things probably happened to him. And from what the good professor told me previously, uh, it tracks. Okay, uh, about the mission. I'm trying to remember what, what it was that they told us to do, but, but it was... Okay, wasn't the first thing figure out if this is unnatural? I think, I well, think we can yeah. answer... I yeah. think, we can answer that yes. The actual phrasing was not, is this unnatural, was, is this an unnatural threat, which is different. Well, apparently it's a threat to, well, is Carcosa the threat or is the play the threat? Just look at Ari. Well, again, Car again Carcosa... I mean, now we know it, it, it may not have fallen, or maybe it was fallen and and reborn and rebuilt, but Carcosa was always the place, not a threat. The threat was, is or was, you know, the mask coming off. The masks? Yeah, masks, I told you. The, the thing that, there's always masks. That's the whole point. And then unmasking or unfailing, that's, that's... Rowan... Yeah. How much are we reading Ari into this? Like, enough that we're not going to have to keep chasing our tails around because we may not have time. Because we've seen some masks. We did. And that seems to maybe be the, the connection point between these two things. Like literal masks or figurative masks? When we were in the theater last night seeing the production, everyone around us except us had masks on. What color? They were white? White. Oh, boy. Wait, the, the guy that ran out wasn't masked because No, the guy that naked. ran out crawled out of the TV. Oh, like the girl from The Ring? Kind of, yeah. Except that the television was on the shoulders of a... I hesitate to call it a person. It was somebody's head. It was a TV. A flat screen, so it wasn't a mask. Okay. Did the TV person have a name? Not that we know of. Okay. I don't think okay. they gave a name, no. Okay, so someone ran off, but white masks, yeah, that that's probably... Well, I mean, it's definitely related. So you know something about white masks in particular? Well, yeah, so remember how I said that every version of it, there's always certain things that are consistent, or at least sort of thematically consistent even if they aren't perfect. So, one of the things is always the color yellow and the yellow sign that Julio drew. 
that's always one thing that's consistent. The the spiral thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the yellow sign. But Julia do it in black. It, no, no, no. It's but that's the sign. It's called the yellow sign. It, maybe he didn't have yellow paint. I don't know. But colors are, are you're talking symbology and you have to wrap your head around metaphors here. It's not a specific description. It's kind of like when you look at Greek mythology and people get all overboard about how like, oh, Zeus was terrible and, and he changed his mind a lot. It's like, no, Zeus is the sky and thunder. Of course it does, because it's, it's a thing of nature. That's the way we're talking here. But one of the other things that always happens is there's always the stranger. And the stranger is one of the roles. There's other roles that are consistent, but the stranger um, is the one usually not wearing a mask and tells the others that they need to unmask. And it might be actual masks or disguises or something, but one of those that always pops up is the pallid mask. You know, pallid means white or or like pale, like someone who's sick. And so that's where you get the weird things like, is someone actually wearing a mask? Is it a is it actually a mask? Is it just the mask we wear in public? Is it someone's face? Um, there's theories about maybe that's why one of um, the kid in New Mexico cut off his jaw because that was his mask, right? Like, we don't know. It's all metaphorical it, until now, at least. It was metaphorical. I mean, maybe it was hidden under being metaphorical while being true. Okay, okay, look, until you showed up, I just thought I was kind of going crazy over maybe having studied too much of this weird stuff. But now you're telling me that it's real, so I'm like, cool, I'm not crazy. Things are just terrible. I don't know if that's better. And, and Zeus was terrible. Yes, but... It's like when Hades stole Persephone. You can look okay, at it let's, as... Okay, let's, let's not tangent off onto that because I, we could go on to that forever. So let's let's focus in, my academic children. I think the point we're getting to is that we have to look at this as compared to what is considered lore and what we're actually looking at as reality. Up until the point that we have a verifiable piece that we can work with, it must be considered lore. The other thing is that it might not line up, I guess. The thing about even the lore, things like this don't always line up perfectly. It's not like one person telling a narrative. It's fragments and pieces, and things might not work exactly the way you think. That's kind of the point of it all. So what I'm hearing is that, assuming these actors are still alive, they're probably wearing masks or disguises of some sort so or they were and they aren't anymore so we won't be able to find them without unmasking them which me makes bad things happen well unless they were wearing masks and now they're not and now they're showing their true selves well well of course they were wearing masks they're they're actors okay but tv guy wasn't wearing a mask I think we are dealing with some folks might be wearing literal masks, 
but the veiling and unveiling is is a truth of self. It is not necessarily a literal removing of a mask. I mean, it could be both or neither. It's kind of weird. They were literally wearing masks, though. Not everyone was, though. Most of them were. The TV guy wasn't. TV guy was not a mask. So the question has to be, who is that who is that person? This is this the stranger? Is that like if we can get everybody into their categories, we can piece the puzzle together and figure out what the structure is. I mean, the stranger is usually the the one who encourages the others to unmask because the stranger is the one without a mask, and that's why they're strange. Right, but we weren't. This wasn't a production of the King of This was a stand-up a comedy thing. If you want to call it that. In Carcosa. Wait. But you were in Carcosa, so it's related. So it has to be. Well, wait. The the people doing the... the Before the mask guy up, came up, the people doing the comedy, who are all terrible, by the way. The TV guy wasn't great either. They, they weren't wearing masks, right? Well, they were trying to be comedians and obviously weren't very good. So maybe their mask was being the comedian. I don't know. I wasn't there. And like I said, it's it's... Hard to tell what's metaphorical and what's not. If anything could be a metaphorical mask, there's no way to tell. Yeah, that's the point. Yes, but Ari, we're we're also talking about something that we literally saw. So while yes, there there can be many uses for metaphor. Uh, if you can give us the broad strokes of the themes and metaphors used in the tale we can try and use those as templates to interpret what we have already physically seen. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, okay. So, um, one is the no masks or the surprise when they see the strangers not wearing a mask. A lot of times that's horrific. It's like, oh my God, that's, that's really, that's the truth. There is no mask. And that creating a desire or encouraging the characters to unmask, which in a lot of productions has meant that the actors try to unmask themselves, which is when the bad stuff happens. Um, A lot of times there's stuff like Lost Carcosa or I See Carcosa or I Can Almost See Carcosa, um, which might be a metaphor for like paradise or madness or the afterlife. Um, or, or or it might be related to the fact that most people can't see this theater. Yeah. Um, I mean, the theater itself literally wears a mask, concealing yeah. itself on the streets of San Francisco. Yeah, sounds... Yeah, that makes sense. Sure, for a given value of sense. Let's roll with that. You also... We're just checking boxes at this point to be like, yep, that could be a thing. That could be a thing. So I think if we... Go ahead and include everything we can eliminate as we go along. That makes sense. So the other big themes that are usually there, not always exactly, but you usually have Camilla and Casilda. Casilda is the queen and Camilla is usually the princess or maybe the sister of or something. And and those names can be, like, instead of Casilda, maybe it's Callista, but there's always, like, the S one and the M one. Usually Camilla is 
an object of sexuality or her sexual desire, or she's in an incestual relationship with her brother, or it's something like disturbing, like a young girl being being incredibly sexual. But it's it's that's the weird part. But that's another one that's that's always like usually there. And then um, there's usually a masquerade or a ball of some sort. Uh, the meaning of the word mask and masquerade gets kind of confused of normal of modern day. But um, those are a lot of the big ones. And then yellow. A lot of times color plays a big role in the productions. But the king is always in yellow and the king is never in the play. Maybe the king has died or they're talking about the king or um, maybe the stranger is the king, but the the king in yellow isn't in it. It's all about him, but he isn't in it. That actually kind of makes sense. Yeah. So there's one other thing that kind of ties in. Um, Professor Harper that you were talking about, the deaths of her classmates who were linked to the king in yellow, they were all surrounded by masks when they got found, and it was all kinds of masks. Yes, as if the the mask department in the theater had gotten raided. Exactly. Um, yeah, because I've, I've read her um, accounting of it, and she specifically mentioned the pallid mask, or there were white masks, or maybe pallid or death's head masks, things like that. Could be. There also were a bunch of other masks, but I well, yeah. imagine that's down to what's available. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to review my, my notes here as you're talking. That, that's Professor Camille Harper? Yeah. Camille Harper. And yes, that has not escaped my notice. Yeah. Oh, oh, one other thing. Um, It's not always, but sometimes there's the Phantom of Truth. Sometime is also the stranger, but the Phantom of Truth is another one of those, like, not a character, but more like a force or an object or a, or a metaphor who's played by someone on stage, but isn't like a character the way Camilla or Casilda are. And then there's a lot of other character names that kind of repeat, but they aren't consistent. They aren't in all of them. Okay, so bringing this around to potentially actionable things that seem to be connected, because theory's great, Mm -hmm. but we have boots on the ground right now, and we actually have to deal with what's real, for a given value of real, I suppose. Is there any mention anywhere in versions of the play of people who smell like death, I say gesturing at Ross and Reagan, or are supernaturally fast, or are birthed into the world through some weird unnatural force. Or attacking people, or... Or run around naked. No, that's just San Francisco. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of madness and weirdness related. I mean... (sighs) I mean, there's a theory that, um... What was the name? Uh, uh, Schipler wrote about that it might tie into myths about, or I don't want to say myth that has the wrong feeling, but stuff about ghouls. There's some thought that maybe that ties into the king, but there's nothing directly there about that. What is, how is a ghoul defined in this context? Um, 
Because, I mean, I play D&D, so I have that frame of reference, but I can't imagine that this is precisely similar. Yeah, less D&D and more Dresden-ish. More like they eat death or they are death, but they're beings that like to, you know, eat people and maybe are dead, but are really nasty and stuff like that. Okay, so far away, I've, I've got... Dresden Files, Phantom of the Opera, and Game of Thrones all mixed together. Shove it all in a blender and hit pulse. Well, think about it the other way. Think about it more like the King in Yellow being the proto-play or the proto-story that's filtered into other media and other stories throughout the centuries. Oh, so more like a common ancestor of of the the, the current evolutionary trains than... Okay. Yeah, think no, about it. Sense. Think about it like the Proto-Indo-European language tree. On the surface, there's nothing similar between German and Sanskrit. But if you go back far enough, you can start to see the connections and the way they tie together into the potential or uh, imaginary or mythological um, source of it. Okay. Yeah. Back to what Rowan calls actionable items. And which I call, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Mine's a little more diplomatic. I mean, we have to go to the theater, right? That That's where it all started. That's where it happened. Not the theater. Well, either the theater where you saw TV Man or the theater where they were going to put on the play that you were talking about. It's the same theater. Okay. Well, I mean, that's one. Or didn't you say you saw a potentially a ghoul oh that's interesting i don't know that we had would know what it is but i guess if that's what you're talking about yeah no a, a smelly thing that hangs out in cemeteries yeah or the thing that got out of the tv or the thing that that guy saw at the bart station was eating some like chewing on somebody yeah and it smells like death it's sat any of those things could fit a description of ghouls that Shipley was talking about. I mean, where'd you where'd you see it again? We saw the creature at the cemetery, or being at the mausoleum. Or yeah, where uh, our author is apparently buried. Um, there was also I don't know if I mentioned this looked like scratch marks on the grate to get into the mausoleum. And it was this thing naked. No, no, he was had like a twenty-five on. on his jersey it had or something. A, a shirt on. Oh, he was wearing a Bonds jersey. Cool. Barry Bonds. Oh, Barry Bonds, San Francisco Giants. No, my my dad's into sports. I pick up some via osmosis, but that is not my interest. I mean, I'm more the Warriors than the Giants, but you know. But yeah, I mean that everything sounds like you're talking about something that could be a ghoul there. Especially, I mean, Jance Peters' grave, and Jance Peters is the one who had the disastrous performance in the 80s at the theater. And has uh, something trying to scratch and get into the mausoleum. Yeah, and had the picture of Lake Holly. Well then, that seems to be the easiest actionable item to uh, approach. Why don't we head back there? Yeah. Oh, this is why they brought me, by the way. Yeah, and that's also yeah. why you are going to stay the fuck behind me if there are things that are eating people. Understand? I don't want to get eaten. 
I am just making absolutely sure that that is said because these things happen fast. I, you said it moves fast and it eats people and I real I'm an academic. I really don't want to get eaten. None of us do. All right. Well, it's um, it's not too far. It's this way. Are you two going to be okay going back there? Yeah, that should be fine. Reagan. I I mean I don't know what we're. <laughs> Who knows what's over there, frankly. Um, so, sure. I don't know. I don't think we can actually answer that question. Yeah, and if, if these things are all over the city, I don't think it's going to be easy to avoid them or not avoid them either way. I wonder, I wonder if the TV man has been sending these things out since the actors went missing. What if they are the actors? and there's a set number of them, and at least that's a reasonable amount to deal with. That's actually better than I was thinking. And also, are they just being set loose, or is that that they're after something? That's a great question, because that thing was running. I'm pretty fast. That thing was twice my speed, easily. I'm I'm not a runner, I, so I'm a hiker. If these things are chewing on people's arms, heck, even if they're just running around naked... Even in San Francisco, there ought to be police reports. Well, about that. Remember what I said about the they could let him go? There was no evidence. He pushed the, He said he pushed this thing into the tracks and there was nothing on the tracks. But there's still reports. They still would have had to file the report of the sure, incident okay. that happened because there was at least the eyewitness testimony, uh, even if it gets okay. filed under... Or a conflicting report, yeah. Even if it gets filed under nothing more to see here, there is still a file. That's fair. So I'll pull up my phone and step aside and start sending a a text message to Sam, starting with uh, the information on Mark Barker and any connection that he has with Breckenridge and Brazil and specifically the mission that... And she kind of winces before typing it. The mission that Rooster had been on down there. And then leading into any police reports of strange attacks or weird conflicting information of homeless people being attacked or just random strange attacks that happen around San Francisco that get filed under nothing to see here. The reply comes back. All right. Sounds good. Mark Barker, check. Looking now. And for that other one about the random, weird, homeless people being attacked in San Francisco, I'm certain I could pull up something slash sarcasm. Ah, yes, my friend, but you are the one who's good at putting points together into a pattern. I'm looking for the pattern. Let's make a dress out of this pattern. Sounds like a plan. Tuck my phone back away. Right. Off to the graveyard? Cemetery, I guess, technically. Indeed. I'm sure there's a technical difference between the two somehow. Probably. I don't know enough to know the difference. I just like the word graveyard more. Um, do we have, like, you haven't actually told me who you all work for, but do you have, like, a count to pull from for an Uber? Because I'm kind of on a grad student budget. Well, you know what? You have been uh, cooped up inside, uh, away from the fresh air for far too long. Let's walk. I think that the fresh air and exercise would do you good. Don't worry, I won't make you keep up with me while running. Okay. Yet. That doesn't sound great, but okay. There are circumstances where running away is the correct answer. 
The walk takes about a half an hour or so. And um, you arrive at the Mission Dolores Cemetery. Um, it's one of the oldest cemeteries in the city. The mission is right next door. There is a beautiful church, the Mission uh, San Francisco de Assisi, as well as the old Mission Dolores Museum. You came through off of one of the alleyways and uh, you see the cemetery is there and it's later afternoon now. The cemetery is quite green at this moment in time of the year. There is a calmness to it that adds to the creepiness. As you walk in, Ross and Reagan point out the mausoleum and you see that it has the name Peters on it and the front gate is open. It was not open when we heard last time, so that is new. Okay. And Rowan will pull her jacket back behind her gun holster so that she can have easy access to it. Why don't we go have a look? As you get closer, you see that the locking mechanism has been tore from the stone of the mausoleum itself. And there's scratch marks all along and the stone broke off. There is a door beyond the grate that is currently closed that does have a lock or it looks like a like a keyhole for a lock on the door itself as well. Sorry, is that also damaged? It is scratched to shit. It's a large metal door. It is not open. I'm going to immediately turn and scan the surrounding area to see if I can see this person in the jersey that they referenced. When you turn, you catch a smell of death, and it seems to get stronger. Incoming. Are we all in this space, and how much room is, like, around here? You are still standing outside the mausoleum, and you have the entire graveyard, effectively, for room for you. So you're not bound by the, you know, being in the mausoleum. It's basically like a, I want to call it a storm door, and then the house door. And the storm door has been forced off, but the house door itself is still closed. And the smell is coming from inside or outside? Everywhere. Ugh. I want to try the door to see if it is still secure. When you get to the door, you turn the knob and it does not turn. It is, it is locked. Okay, Ari, stay here. Does thou have the key? You hear from behind one of the trees. Who is asking? A Castilian that's lost in this time. Castilian? Yes. I'm just watching Ari's face to see what, how he's reacting. He, his eyes are kind of like going back and forth as though he's thinking really hard, trying to put things together. From Spain? Well, I do not like to call it Spain. They are colonizers and have taken taken much and have not returned it. I am not where I should be. When should you be? Then. And then is... Who's the king of Castile? I don't know now. And you believe that this mausoleum is the entrance to your win? Oh no, no, this is not. Then why do you seek the key? As a son of Hyades, it is my goal to ensure that the king does not come back. The colorful king? 
He has one color. I'm gonna kind of lean over to Rowan and whisper, The mystery of the Hyades. What about them? It's another recurring motif, remember? There was a lot of information, but yes, I think vaguely. And what does this place have to do with that goal? He who is entombed there has the plans for Alar, and we can launch our ensiegement. Do you ally with Hyades or with Alar? Choose appropriately. Whispering to Rowan again, the Hyades that obviously he's, this whoever's talking is Alar, and the Hyades are Carcosa. And the king in yellow is the king of Carcosa. Yes, I did make that connection. Thank you. Okay. Aspects of this king are leaking through into our world and causing a great deal of death and destruction. However, I hesitate to ally with any organization that I don't know much about. Ironically. Maybe once you, when you hear the songs. But I must be abound. Do what you will. I will be returning here. If you wish to succor my favor, please gain entrance and allow me inside. We will consider that. However, I will tell you, I am a peacekeeper of this area. If you harm people of this area, we will be enemies. What if they're bad people? That's not for you to decide. You are not judge, jury, and executioner. Then I will take it from the executioner like the resurrection men of old. If you harm a living person within the bounds of this area, we will be enemies. Fair. Then depart in peace, as we will. The smell of death seems to waver and fade away. I'm Tiana Hansen, and I play Rowan. I'm Seth Jones, and I play River. I'm Joseph Newman, and I play Ross. I'm Christy Bauer, and I play Reagan. I'm Ben Soslowski, and I play Ari. I'm Dan Voshkevich, the Handler. Our story is based upon the role-playing game Delta Green by Arc Dream Publishing. Delta Green is created by Dennis Detweiler, Adam Scott Glancy, and John Scott Tynes. Season 7 is an adaptation written by me, Dan Voshkevich, based on the Fragments of the King chapters written by John Wick, Toby Abad, Fabian Badia, Ben Warner, and Rob Justice. Our intros this season were written by Alondra Heilman and performed by Grant Corvin, with additional voices by John Wick, Fabian Badia, and Ben Warner. If you like our story, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can check out our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash theredactedreports. Patrons of our podcast will receive early access to episode, Rowan's written reports for each story, as well as other goodies and opportunities exclusive to our patrons. We offer special thanks to our $20 and up patrons, Stephen Schwartz, Danny, Tom Padula, Kit Thompson, Lady Bedeville, Heather Ney, Jen Obertaz, Bomb Clancy, Naya Fenris, Shrek Manning, Red Dead Coquette, Ginger Fury, Dr. Christian Lehman, Devils, Robbie Nowell, J. Matthews85, Flynn Gallagher, Phoenix Team Handler Dennis, Knitting Daddy Greg, Multicam Yeti, Scott Miller, Rogue, Jacqueline Parrish, and Monsieur Quack. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. 
please support us by telling people about us. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on all the usual social media sites. Also, check out our website, www.theredactedreportspodcast.com. All of our handouts are archived there. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach out to Agent Harker through the contact form there. The Redacted Reports is edited and produced by Tiana Renhansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube channel a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu on a weekly basis and have a bunch of content archived on their YouTube channel. Additional undercurrent music, Rowan Rising, was composed and orchestrated by Alan Strickland, A-L-L-E-N. You can find him at alanstrickland.net for his classical compositions. Join us next week. In the sins of the father, retribution comes due. Barrels spall dwindle to anxious supply, and we face a threat with such a human goal we cannot succumb, lest it gluttonizes us from within and without. <laughs>